This is Family Office Intel at Dentons, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actionable ideas for uh, advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the modern family office. I'm Edward Marshall, uh, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with Chris Cunningham and Sam Frankfurt. Chris is a 20-year median tech veteran who is a serial entrepreneur turned early-stage venture capitalist. As an angel investor, Chris invested in nearly 20 startups and sold uh, nearly four for cash. Uh, he's uh, recently started a uh, $10 million early-stage venture fund to scale his other fund, C2V, uh, and that brand to invest in more companies alongside their investors. He was the CEO and co-founder of AppSavvy, a company he started in his department in 2006. AppSavvy was the industry's first tech platform that monetized Facebook apps and games uh, through an, uh, native advertising with a Fortune 500 brand advertisers. He's also part of the growth story at webs.com, uh, which led to an acquisition, and he's now a limited partner in both Bowery Capital and Techstars, recently launched the Superpowers podcast show. Uh, Sam Frankfurt is our next guest. He's of Benvolio Group, which is the investment arm of Sam's family office. Benvolio focuses on direct investing in early-stage, disruptive, consumer-facing concepts. Sam's a founding partner uh, at Benvolio. He previously was at Bear Stearns, had a long run on Wall Street, and uh, also ran the derivatives desk at Stiefel. He sits on several boards of early-stage companies and is actively involved in more than a dozen uh, early-stage venture companies. He is a University of Wisconsin undergrad. Today, we'll discuss trends in the venture space post-pandemic, talk about why family offices and venture capital in general and look at best practices for family offices trying to get in this space or improve what they're already doing. So let's start off with uh, how both of you got into this space. Chris, how did how did you get into it and what drew you towards it in the first place? Yeah, first of all, Eddie, great to be here with you and Sam. Um, this should be a lot of fun. I um, So I got my career started in 99 um, and, and started cutting my teeth selling online advertising. So I've been through a lot of startups uh, when sort of the online space was developing. Uh, I've been a founder several times through my journey of app savvy, which was predominantly positive. It was also terrible. Um, uh, Sort of, you know, not knowing how to deal with board members or pivoting, recapping, raising capital, a failed exit. So at the heels of my journey in 2013, 2014, which was moderately a sort of a single, if you will, after seven years of my life, I felt that the delta between institutional capital and venture was wide. The idea that quarterly board meetings was enough was incorrect. And that when you looked at startup failure rate, it was about 85, 90%. But when you looked at the data behind it, the mistakes were being repeated. So I started doing angel investing, but more of a Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise role of just really you know, getting to know these founders and who they are and just being on 24-7 speed dial. Um, deployed about a half a million of my own money, returned it in under two years, a lot of notable investments now. I just started developing the C2V brand in 2014, which then led me to meeting a partner smarter than I am, um, which doesn't say a lot. And we started our first fund, as you know. So my journey, that's the long version. The short version was a founder entrepreneur who did not have the energy to do it again, uh, that's the honest answer, who also felt that he had a lot to give and offer for next generation founders. And if you can make some money along the way, even better. Thanks, Chris. Sam, how about you? What's your story? 
Uh, Eddie, Eddie, thank you for having me and Chris. Good to be with you as well. Um, so we are a single family office. Uh, we officially started, opened our doors coming out of Labor Day of 2014. So we're about to hit our seven year anniversary. My pops, my father was a CEO and chairman of coach uh, for my whole life until we set up the family office. So he was, um, that's basic, that was 35 years or so. And, um, you know, I, I had this career on Wall Street that you mentioned. And along the way, people started showing me deals and saying, hey, you're strategic capital. You know, would you guys be interested in investing in deals? And, and Lou was singularly focused on running, you know, coach. And I was, you know, doing my thing on Wall Street. Um, but it, it was um, it was quite interesting to me. And I started um, looking at these businesses and um, I would do the diligence and learn how to, you know, go to stores and talk to consumers and you know, it sort of led us into this world um, that I had really very little experience in. And uh, through that, um, you know, I would do the diligence and then I'd bring the CEO and they'd meet with my pops. And, you know, you could see that he had a lot to give in terms of mentorship. And um, we kind of dipped our toe in the water. We did a few deals. Um, J Brand Jeans was one. Uh, a Tequila Avion was another. So, again, consumer facing businesses. And we mentored uh, the founders and, and really got involved in the businesses. And had two successful, you know, experiences out of the gate, um, which I think, uh, again, they, they haven't all been successful. But I think when you kind of get when you kind of hit that success, and you see that, you know, this model is sort of working, whatever that model was, um, when Lou was ready to move on from coach, and I was ready to sort of we were, uh, we were good, we, we talked about working together for so long, and it was never going to be a coach. Um, the stars sort of aligned, and we we're like, okay, let's try to do this. Let's set up a family office. And let's really have a focus on this part of that world. So it was really in those consumer-facing businesses where I would do the diligence, get to know the businesses, learn from Lou, um, and um, you know, and 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 sort of the rest is history at this point. We have a portfolio now of about forty-five or fifty companies. I would say a dozen or so predate that two thousand fourteen start date, and um, it, it is a true family office. We don't have any LPs. It's me, uh, Lou, who is my dad, and uh, Ernest, who's my brother-in-law. So it's the three of us as as founding partners and. You know, we we have, we brought some, we brought some people in on the ecosystem along the way. I know we're going to talk. We partner with some family offices, um, but that's really the the genesis of it. And Benvolio is my parents' uh, labradoodle, um, who's uh, no longer with us. But that's uh, the genesis of the name. Thanks, Sam. Uh, really appreciate that that background as well. So, Chris, turning to you and and turning to where we're sitting today, or in this. Uh, Tail end of the pandemic, maybe maybe the uh, maybe seventy five percent of the way through, where, wherever we may be, uh, how are you seeing things change uh, on your end, both as a, an investor and, and talking to uh, people who are investing in, in early stage? Yeah, I'm. So I'll answer it two part. Um, from a deal flow perspective, if if last year was um, rock bottom, at least from what we saw, where you know we we were seeing twenty deals a week to to, to one or two in the heart of the pandemic, which was very scary. Um, over the summer and 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 um, uh, last summer into the fall, in particular, now the amount of deal flow that we're seeing and the amount of innovation that's coming through post pandemic is something that in my humble opinion, we'll never see again. I believe that in five to seven, 10 years from now, when we start identifying a Zoom or an Airbnb or, or whatever those sort of the, the, the next um, sort of next, you know, sort of next game changing companies that, that have significant value, when we look back at their start date, my prediction is 20 or 21. 
So, you know, the, it, the history shows that, um, you know, through, through really difficult and challenging times, innovation spurs. And when you look at sort of the, the world resetting what worked and what didn't work, it, I think it provided a incredible opportunity for gifted founders with hopefully a tactical co-founder to boot to sort of identify obvious problems that they're fixing. So on the founder side, I am incredibly grateful to be able to do what we do. I'm sure Sam feels the same way as far as seeing deal flow and talking to founders. On the investor side, um, look, I, I think we're somewhat relatively protected um, I- I- at the stage. We're not doing angel. We're doing very little pre-seed, pre-seed being defined as pre-product or no revenue. We are you know, on our second fund. We have real investors, so we can take our time and we'll take our time to look at proof points, traction, revenue, et cetera. Um, but there is definitely a squeeze coming down um, from sort of traditional, you know, larger venture firms, um, other forms of liquidity like SPACs um, that are sort of driving driving prices up and inflating um, companies, maybe more so than they, you know, more than the value that they're that they deserve to uh, uh, to carry. So, but still at pre-seed seed, we feel um, you know somewhat biased here, but we feel like we still have a one of the only opportunities to get real value in a company at an early stage at a good price point. And I know that sounds very self-serving, but I actually believe that. Um, you know, we're investing in companies pre-A. Once you get to A, you are in a whole other world of competitive money sloshing around, and that's going to drive prices up. And did you see a similar thing from you know, companies uh, born in 2008, nine, uh, in, in terms of that vintage uh, that you're you're predicting for twenty. Where, where are you drawing a lot of that from? Yeah. So I mean, part of it is just the um, um, you know, part of it is just the types of companies that we're seeing that are just solving such obvious problems, but such huge potential. You know, the math just sort of says if this company just does X, Y, Z, they can scale, and it's a billion dollar company. So part of it's just our own data and our own analysis. As relates to the deal flow, we're constantly talking to other investors and um, you know people like Sam and other VCs and comparing notes because venture and investing is ninety five percent a team sport and they're you know they're saying the same things. Um, so part of it's just sort of what what we see. It's an interesting point, Eddie. I feel like I need to get uh, my validation of kind of two thousand seven two thousand eight as far as what what those companies look like. So thanks for that tip because it will make my my narrative much better. Um, but a lot of it's just through the data that we see. Sam, turning to you in terms of why family offices and why uh, early stage uh, investing, what, what uh, I mean, you talked about your personal background, but why do you think that others are looking at this in the space? Is it the dollar amount? Is it the intrigue about the interest of these types of companies? What's drawing people to it or, or has drawn people to it in the past, that, uh, at least the families that you've uh, met and worked with? It's it's a very good question, and I'm not sure there's a simple answer, um, or one answer, I should say. Um, I, I think it's it's information flow um, is largely, you know, has, has a good deal to do with it. There's there's a lot of availability. There's managers like Chris and, and other people that are coming into this world, raising funds, and, and people are getting exposure through funds, and then they're doing co-invests. So, I'm not really sure if there's a specific reason, except that you know everything that you read is about company growth and these crazy valuations, and so I think there's just a lot of attention 
um, from the media, but also depending on the family from their own experience where um, they're getting involved. And again, valuations have moved up significantly. There's been a lot of, you know, uh, let's call wealth creation within this private world over the last handful of years. And that inherently draws a lot of interest. A lot of it is, is, is the ecosystem that you're in and sort of the flow that you're seeing as well. Well, uh, let's talk about that flow a little bit. Uh, as families are trying to make a decision of dipping their toe in the water, going direct and making investments there and or looking at opportunities to invest in funds. You know, what what was some of the decision points for your family office uh, around funds versus uh, versus direct or or maybe mixes of the two? Yeah, so very good question. And I and and I would say as I as I mentioned on the onset, we kind of came in with a focus doing direct deals, right? That was our experience sort of pre-family office and that's continued through the family office. So our portfolio has grown from sort of 10 or 12 to, you know, 45 or 50 companies that we're now currently directly involved in. Um, I'd say where we where we use managers like Chris, um, and we're a little bit different because this is sort of the lion's share of our, this is the lion's share of our time is in these deals and spending time with CEOs and management teams. But, you know, fi- you know, finding the Chris's of the world, you know, first, it's an enabler because it gives you a lot of exposure. You learn a lot. Um, it's hard to sort of cherry pick one special deal or two special deals if you're sort of on the sidelines and doing this part time or doing this as, as just part of your world. Um, where we specifically use families, uh, fa- sorry, where we specifically use funds is around areas where we don't have exposure through our direct deals. So as, as you mentioned, on, again, in the beginning, we, we tend to focus a lot on, on consumer, um, you know, consumer facing brands um, and businesses. And so we don't have much exposure in healthcare. Or we recently invested in a prop tech fund, property technology fund, or fintech. So areas where we're not going to do these direct type deals, but we want exposure and we have, you know, we may have like broad theses around it. We'll look for managers that can allocate to that space. And then we may do a couple co-invests as we learn get, you know, we get up to speed on that space. We'll do co-invest through that fund as well. So we try to do it more as like a supplement to to what we're doing. Um but I certainly think that for funds that are are sort of less involved in this whole direct space, it's a great way to get exposure to good managers and to get to good deals, um, because you you know you you want to have a portfolio of deals. It's it's very hard. You may get lucky, right? You may pick the right one out of the gate. But if you don't have much exposure and your friends say, "Hey, come, you know, throw some money into this company," um, and you're and you're trusting that person, they may very well be right. As Chris said on the onset, most companies fail especially in startup venture world, right? Most businesses don't make it. Um, so if you have a sophisticated person like a Chris around the table who's doing the, doing, the, doing the sourcing, doing the vetting, and now you have a portfolio of, of 20 companies, and then by the way, you could cherry pick one or two for a co-invest because you get behind it and you really like what their business is and does, and potentially you get to meet the CEO and you understand their vision, that's music. That's, that's, how, you know, that's how I would, if I wasn't, as knee deep as I am, as I am into the space, that's how I would look at sort of my, my, you know, sort of my getting involved. So how do you uh, take that with the, tr- with a, a common refrain that you'll hear from families like yours of uh, the traditional two and 20 structure, or the fee structure is just not attractive to them. And, and how do they, uh, how do they balance that out? I mean, you made some 
good points about that earlier, but is there a way to get over that hump? Did you guys ever experience that in the beginning? Or, I mean, you come out of the uh, the institutional world, so I think that maybe that had an influence on, as part of your thinking. Yeah, I mean, obviously we look at IRR and fees are a part of that, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you're, you're in this, um, you know, Chris is targeting a 3x return on his fund. You know, he'll probably do better if you look at his portfolio, right? And so, you know, it's it, it's sort of not to say it's a rounding error because twenty and two is, is is meaningful. You know, Chris is is not running this for his management fee, right? He's running it to make people money and and to have an outsized return. Um, so I think you know I think that's sort of short sighted um, to kind of look just at that those fees and say, oh, I don't want to have that exposure. I don't want to pay fees. I mean, the reality is, um, you know, to all the points I made in the in the earlier comments, you know, the vetting, the sourcing, the the you know the work, the the you know it's 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 work to sort of manage the portfolio. It's work to work with these businesses to help them with strategy to help uh, you know change the trajectory of the businesses to the upside, right? Like that, I pay for that, right? And so I think looking at fees and saying, oh, I don't want to pay the two and twenty, to me, that's you know that's that's sort of a little bit short-sighted, again, depending on the family. And, and and the one thing I would say as well is every family is different. You know, you really have to understand, you know, family objectives. And Eddie, you, you do this for a living, but it's, it's what do you want to do as a family? What, 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 are, your, what are your goals? Um, but I think, again, if you want to get in a VC world, you don't have much exposure. You find a guy like Chris and, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the fees. It's about, hey, how can I learn from Chris? He's going to get you an outsized return, you know, net of fees, right? I mean, that's sort of his goal, right? So to me, I, I guess it's, you know, I, I look through that. Chris, let's talk about the learning process that Sam mentioned. Let's say you're a family office and you want to start at zero uh, and, and build out, you know, some interest in, in venture investing. How would you go about it? Yeah, wait, before I answer that, Eddie, I just want to comment on a couple of points earlier because I thought it was a very uh, sort of pointed and interesting uh, banter between the two of you. I mean, one is I'm not a family office, so I can't pretend to understand how a family office looks or behaves. But just to piggyback on something Sam said, it's got to be case by case based on what that office does. From my limited sort of visibility into a few family offices that's growing, um, Sam's team, you know, gets involved. They're operational. They'll pick and choose. They'll work through the tough days and whether it's hiring or kind of navigating strategy. But I've also talked to family offices that don't, that's not what they do. That's not what they want to do. They don't have time to do it. So in that case, you know, maybe as it relates to sort of the fee, the fee component, obviously someone has to service somewhere. Somebody has to do this thing called work somewhere. Right, it's not just invest in hope and pray. That that's not how it works. So I think depending on your family office or your operational side or who wants to do it, or if you want to sit on the beach and chill and make money, that's okay too. But somebody has to do this thing called work in between, and someone has to, you know, you kind of have to kind of justify it. Now I have no idea what you asked me earlier. Well, starting from zero, right? If you if you're a family office or you're working with somebody like Sam, and you say, oh, Sam yeah. says, Sam comes to you and say, I want to start investing in yeah, venture. Yeah. What would so, you recommend? So, 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 so for me, you know, look, it, it's always about. So, in getting to know Sam's group, there is a very clear story and narrative behind their brand, which is Lou and Coach and consumer and all that. So it makes a ton of sense 
as far as their swim lane and where, where they focus as it relates to deal flow and founders telling founders and an other founder, and this is what they do. And, you know, it, that makes sense. In the case of, say, you know, Baker and Camwood Group, they're, this is athletes. So I'd imagine very similar to Courtside Ventures out of New York, you know, very focused on sports and there's kind of a vertical there. So I think number one is like, if you're a family office and you're starting today, whether it's textiles or manufacturing or whatever the case may be, you know, and again, I'm kind of, you know, my podcast is called Superpower. So, but, you know, it is about your, what is your superpower? Where do you come from? Who are you? You know, take your, you know, no one wants to maybe back a generalist. You know, you have to have some sort of domain expertise, whether that's, you know, med tech or enterprise B2B or whatnot. So the first part, Eddie, is if your family office, if I think, I under, if I understood your question correctly, and you're thinking about, okay, we have, you know, a lot of sort of liquidity and dry powder to invest. What, what are the areas and sectors that you're passionate about? Where can you potentially provide value? But not just limited to that. You may also say, hey, you know, in the case of C2V, we are excited about the most boring, mundane industries on the planet that are just ripe for disruption because there's been sort of stagnant productivity growth, no software, innovation, machine learning, AI. Maybe that's exciting. So I, I think you have to sort of understand where your swim lane is, where you're passionate, um, and either support it from an operational perspective or allow the GPs that you're backing based on, you know, that you getting to know them to do that. And then, you know, through a true portfolio construction, you know, again, as Sam mentioned earlier, um, you know, 20, whether it's 20 companies or 25, yeah, it's hard for me to admit that some of them may not work. It's really hard for me to actually say that out loud because I don't believe it, but the math says it's true. But it just takes one or two. You know, while our minimum benchmark may be three to five X, which isn't a ton, do we believe we could do 10 or 15? Of course. Are we going to advertise that? No. It only takes one or two sort of IPOs or just $1 billion outcome to not only return the fund, to, but make, make everyone a lot of money. And just the last comment, um, I think the direct investing, co-investing is just something that is, uh, should be discussed more. Um, Eddie, I almost feel like that's uh, an opportunity from another show, another podcast, the ability to cherry pick companies that you like. I, I don't think any investor, whether it's family office into a fund or, or a, a high net worth into C2V, should only look at the return potential. I think that's great. It's always about making money. But the ability to sort of, whether it's an introduction, it's your network, maybe it's a co-invest, maybe you have so much money that you can lead their Series B, but you got access because you got into a pre-seed. You know what I mean? So my point is, I always encourage people, like, don't look at this simply as an investment vehicle. That's the number one thing you're getting into. Depend on you know what that firm offers. There's a lot more value that that you know a particular institution or family office can get from the relationship beyond making a return. Sam, in terms of opportunities that you're looking at today, how are you sourcing them? I mean, you obviously have the heritage of the company and your family and how you got into the space, but what's what's changed since you guys started investing on your own to finding deals? It's it's all relationships. I mean, it really is. I mean, obviously, some of it is that fund relationship. Some of it is other family offices. Some is, some of it is through entrepreneurs, both that we've met along the way or that we've been involved in businesses that they've been involved in. So, you know, again, as, as you do this longer and longer, um, that network grows, right? The network effect. Um, and I would say the majority of our deal flow comes from, you know, one of those pillars. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, that's, 
you know, that's, I, I guess that's, that's the reality of it. Chris, from your side, you're, you're doing this in a, a very uh, efficient, professional manner, but what's deal flow sourcing look like for you today versus when you first got started it, uh, with it? It, it? it hasn't changed a ton, uh, Eddie. If we're looking at a pie chart, what has changed is the percentage of the pie. But number one is the founder community. I, I'm, you know, I've been a founder and a beat up founder. So once you you've been a founder, you know, you just kind of have this badge. I think it's, you know, the sort of athlete coach analogy. So founders talking to founders. My angel portfolio did really well. I'm still in a lot of interesting companies there. Those founders talk to founders. So the founder community isn't that big. It really isn't. In particular, you know, we're kind of East Coast, New York City. So that's that's going to be number one always. Um, Number two, part of our th- logic and thesis, which is n- unconventional and not traditional venture, is our LPs, while we do have a bunch of silent guys and we love them, there's a lot of sort of you know, well-known tech founders and executives from some of the largest you know, um, um, startups and, and later, later stage companies in the country or in the world, they send us their deal flow. So a lot of it comes from our LP base. Um, the third piece um, is the kind of, I spent a lot of time with Angels uh, Launch, which is Jason Kalkanis's platform. I'm part of Cornell Tech, their sort of advisory group. So you got to know the incubators. You got to know the angels. You got to know the early stage. So it's a lot of work from a CRM and sort of a management process, but you have to sort of track these things just like anything else as far as get get on their radar and know them. Again, back to sports. Because who doesn't like sports? But you know, it's no different than tracking a 16 or 17 year old in some respective, you know, maybe the next NBA or you got to know them, right? So we're trying to do our best there. It's definitely not perfect. And then, you know, last, the inbound today, I encourage anyone listening to this, don't sleep on LinkedIn, don't sleep on sort of DMs on Twitter. I, I, I Somatic, our robotic bathroom cleaning company out of YC. I mean, yeah, it was a LinkedIn message. And my first reaction was like robotic bathroom cleaning, like you're out of your mind. My partner, Matt, w- this is his one out of 20, which is like, this is the billion do- first billion dollar company. We debate that. But we do sp- the inbound today because we, we're very active on social, our newsletter. You know, I do things like this, which is, which is, which is awesome and fun. So there's a lot of thought leadership that kind of gets out there. But it also requires you to be disciplined and also, you know, look for the, you know, the quality you know, everyone deserves an opportunity coming out of the pandemic. It's 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 no founder's fault that coffee meetings didn't exist for a year and conferences shut down and flight. That that's 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 not a founder's fault. So I think it's the responsibility for anyone that that are in my shoes or Sam's shoes or quite frankly your shoes to be responsible and look for those little nuggets because there is some smart, talented some some founder somewhere trying to find you. Um, and yeah, we're probably more, we advertise and, you know, uh, probably more so than a family office, which I completely understand why, but those are, so Eddie, that was again, long winded, but the, 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 the sort of the pie percentage continues, uh, to change. It's also nice when a VC sends you a deal, um, that says, Hey, we want another good co-invest investor that's going to roll up their sleeves. Cause we don't do that. So it, 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 you know, it is so, somewhat diversified, but the, the the concentration is founders. So Sam, Chris talked about you know finding some diamonds in the rough. What what if the, what you thought was a diamond in the rough turns out to be a piece of coal? And 
now a, an investment hasn't gone in the in the way that you'd like to go. Uh, how, what what are some of the processes and, and thoughts around uh, on that for uh, for you and your family? Well, those are the uh, those are the ones that take up the most time. Uh, you know, share of mind and also you know f- physical time because you you tend to spend the most time with your pain points. But that's a that's a reason why you outsource to managers, I guess. Um, but um, no, we've we've obviously had our, our fair share of those. Um, you know, and and some have gotten over the hump and 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 have end up working, you know, quite well. And, and, and some, you know, they, they haven't, and I would just say, you got to lean in. Um, and that's, and that's the difference I think with us as, you know, sort of operational, you know, operationally focused, as Chris mentioned earlier, um, we don't shy away from that type of stuff. So we're, we're trying to make changes, whether it's, you know, in the C-suite, um, strategy changes. Um, you know, if we need to help try to capitalize the business, we're going to try to help s- solve that part. So it's really, again, it's, it's leaning into these, you know, leaning into the adversity and trying to help the founders and the businesses um, get over that hump. Um, again, doesn't always work, but that's where the experience of someone like Alou, um, who's pretty much seen everything, um, can really be helpful for, for the businesses. We don't play in distress land. Sometimes we find ourselves there, um, and we want to try to help the the companies get to the other side of the rainbow. So, Chris, how can you avoid the the distressed land that that uh, that Sam talked about? How can you lean in, and and what do you guys do, and what have you seen other families do to support an investment after they after you've made it? Well, I mean, I yes, go ahead, it. Chris. Sorry, no, no I was just gonna. You got, you got. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna mention just you know in terms of avoiding it. Um, you know, a lot of it is experience as we get older, pattern recognition, you know, and, and, that, and that that transcends really industry. So whether it's consumer facing or tech or, you know, healthcare, I mean, again, a lot of it is sort of putting the right people on the field, you know, checking, checking your strategy, making sure your proof points along the way. So, again, I think, you know, my experience doing this for, you know, called seven years full time, but lose, you know, 40 plus years of being an operator. Um, you know, that's really where we like to lean in early. Um, and again, Chris, Chris goes earlier in the curve than we do. We like proof of concept. We like revenue. We're, we're, we play in those series A, but as Chris mentioned, people seek us out because we are strategic um, and we do have that operational prowess. But I think it's, it's really through experience. You're trying to basically help these companies, um, you know, you're, you're checking and balancing their strategies, right? And you're, you're making sure that they have the right people in the right boxes within that org chart. So that they can avoid um, some of the pitfalls that we've seen, whether it's in these specific businesses or somewhere along the way in life, or you know, Lou, Lou did you know at, with his experience, you know, running coach. So um, that's what I would just jump in there. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, Eddie, the, the, the whole uh, if the question is about sort of um, avoiding um, whatever your analogy is, we're, we're going dark here, coal and whatever else you said. Um, so number so a couple of things. Number one is I think the 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 idea to be disciplined is important. So you know, for example, geographic location, stage, vertical, price, the amount of companies we've passed on that we love, but it's just you know it's a Series A pricing. The math doesn't work from a portfolio construction. So I think number one is just staying disciplined within the model that 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 shows you know these are the amount of companies that you need to have some sort of result to make 
your investors' money, which is our like our number one responsibility outside of um, looking after our founders, which we take very seriously. The number two is unless you're, I don't know, you know, the Elon Musk or Zuck or just like, the, I don't know if he's even a good analogy, the, the Evan Williams, like the, the zero, zero, one percent, it definitely takes a village, right? I mean, for those that have kids, I always use this analogy, like imagine not teaching your kids when they're growing up the dangers of a crosswalk, like table manners or how to look an adult in the eye when they come to your house. So how do you give founders money and then expect them to Gary V crush it? Like to me, that makes no sense, like zero sense. When you look at the data, they're running out of money because they overhired. Uh, you think anyone's done that before? You think they've jammed product market fit or they didn't recap or they didn't accept the fact that something wasn't working because the founder hadn't eat? Like these things are avoidable if you put a surrounding cast around them. So the way that we do our best to avoid it is to naturally and organically allow access to people that have been there and done that both successfully and unsuccessfully. It's not a guarantee, but we believe as a result of that, not only will we have the same sort of percentage of like, you know, outliers from success, we believe we're going to have far less zeros, Eddie, more singles and doubles. Let's just stay on the sports train today. Um, which is everyone would rather have a one X or two X. No one's ever going to yell at you if you return their money back. And how do you do that? Just sort of help them navigate. The traditional venture Sand Hill Road, San Francisco mentality is let them die. And that's a longer debate, whether it's you shouldn't put the time into it, right? Just let them die and focus on your one or two. Uh, we think that within reason, you know, getting some level of return by some level of time for things that are avoidable is a better sort of more rounded stra uh, 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 approach. Uh, thanks, Chris. And, and Sam, let's turn to uh, other families. Have you guys looked at investing in venture with other family offices? And if, if you have, how, how's that gone? You're saying in terms of joining and being LPs with, with specific families, or you're talking about, is that is that is that the question, Eddie? But joining and working with them on a particular deal. You're talking about like on a specific deal or in a specific fund? I'm sorry, I just want to make In a specific deal or a specific fund? Yeah, so we partner with a handful of families um, and uh, on deals. You know, typically we'll see something and, and there's more capacity and we'll introduce it to sort of our network. Um, you know, some are strategic, some are just checks, some bring various things to the table. So for sure, there is a network of families out there, individuals and families, um, whether they have, you know, so-called family offices or they're just investing personally, um, there's certain, certainly a network of people that we partner with, um, again, whether there's extra capacity or we just want to be along the journey with them. Um, and, and again, that's so much of it um, for us is the journey. Um, I know it is for Chris as well. I mean, he tends to have, you know, he's obviously on a, on a clock, which again, these clocks, he, the 10 year clock, you know, you know, with the, with the fund now, it seems like that window is shrinking in terms of monetizations. That's another subject for another, another topic, but for sure, like as a family, we want like-minded families that, you know, have sort of the same, you know, thought process around investing as we do. But yes, we do a fair amount of that. When you say like-minded, you mean like the same sector, have the same kind of time horizon, uh, or is it a mix depending on the deals that you guys are looking at? Yeah, I would say like, you know, have the same philosophical approach, which is, you know, it's about the journey. 
you want to be as helpful as possible. You want to lean in where you where you can. You know, some people can lean in and be helpful in certain areas. Some people you may call, you know, once every quarter, once every six months and and say, hey, I, I remember you did this and can you help here? And then and they're more than willing. Right. They want to help. It's just a question of, um, you know, what you know, when you need them. Um, so it's really just the like minded um, you know, kind of, you know, Chris mentioned it. And I think that's something that where we are too, is like, we are founder friendly. Um, we, we, we'd like to, you know, prop up the management team and help them grow. Um, you know, we like to lean in and help them avoid, again, the pitfalls that we've, that we've seen be made or lose experience themselves. Um, but you know, our, our, our goal is to, uh, to partner with, you know, both great companies, great families, great funds. I mean, it's all about sort of, you know, creating an ecosystem of, of good people that have like-minded um, views. And, you know, with views, I don't want to, it doesn't, I don't want to be cheesy, um, but it is really just, you know, good people. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's who you want to surround yourself with. Eddie, one thing I just want to pile on that I realized, well, I said, but I, um, that, that I, I just want to make something clear um, that probably wouldn't be clear to a potential listener is that, but but Sam triggered it. Um, is there's a lot of points. So if you take a portfolio of twenty companies, I'm just making this up right now. Ten of them are nice and steady and growing. They've ra- we've helped them raise their money. They got commercial going. You know they're getting their executive team. They're sort of up and running. We're checking in once a month. This is to the point of scale. How do you scale what I said earlier? So just in case there's a challenger, right? So now you got ten of them, for example, that are like tracking well. Um, they're, you know, they're, so you're, you're checking in once a month. How can we be helpful? Truly make an intro. It's light. We're talking about a couple hours. It's nothing crazy. Right. Then you have this sort of next percentage. Um, and fortunately for us, we don't have, you know, maybe there's one company we're somewhat concerned about, like literally one. Um, um, then you have sort of this next group, which is, you know, they're navigating, maybe, you know, considering a SPAC or they're having a personnel challenge. So you're putting a little bit more time into it. And then you have sort of this other bucket that requires a little bit more. And then maybe in the very only post five, you know, five years, Sam, tell me if you agree. I don't think most companies under five years have sort of dramatic, stressful, disastrous things happening, but maybe there's a pivot. So that's going to take a lot of time. My point is the, 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 the balance of time is contingent on the sort of the cycle and how those companies are doing. In addition to that, because we play early, what I always like to say is, because when someone asked me, it was a great question. It was a uh, family office was like, so how do you scale this with fun too? It's a great question. Well, the reality of it is, is if fun with, as fun one goes to a series A and they're able to uh, raise three to five and hire an executive team, it's not that C2V's role is dead or expired. It just means we've kind of gotten them to that. You know, it's like the analogy of like your kids going to college or whatever. We've kind of done our part but like the hard, like our focus of zero to five years is over. And now there's a recycle and more bandwidth for this next generation. Does that make sense? So I just want to make sure that part's clear. It's, we're, I'm not suggesting that we're 20 hours a week with each company. That would make no sense. And a lot of them don't need you, but sometimes they will need you. No, makes sense. And I, and I appreciate the, the clarification there. And well, and I, and I would just, to, just to piggyback on that. So that, that's, that series A that Chris is talking about is, is, you know, in large part where we've gotten involved in our deals. And so, you know, we're going to then, you know, basically take the work that Chris has done, you know, foundationally to sort of prove out the concept. And we're going to then go run from an operational standpoint, help them sort of build out that C-suite, 
um, you know, they're, they're in market at that point. They, ho- they, they hopefully have some revenue and sort of you can underwrite a business model. Um, but, you know, Chris and I, you know, when we spend time, you know, we talk about TAM, right, and total addressable market and sort of how big can this idea be. I think whether it's it's whether it's Chris earlier than us, um, but even at that Series A, we're we're looking at that tan. We're looking at okay, if these guys get one percent of the market, as Chris referenced earlier, I believe, or five percent of the market, like this is a successful business and this is their roadmap to getting ten. But even if you haircutted it, right, like you're 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 winning, right? And 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 um, you know that that is um, that's that's one of the things that you know we focus on. So let's close out with some lessons learned. Uh, I have a feeling we're, we're going to have to have you guys on for a round two uh, to go uh, into some of these other areas as well. But let's close out on lessons learned. Chris, what do you know today that you wish you knew when you got started in this space? That I would be perpetually fundraising for the rest of my life and sort of losing friends. Um, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Um, that fundraising, you know, like an honest thing, fund the time balance between a founder and a VC. I think I'm one of the few people that can say this, the amount of time and energy and stress and lack of sleep and all that versus a VC role is just night and day. It's just, it's it's a, I'm not saying what I do is easy and I work my, my butt off, but it's just fundamentally different. Having said that, raising money for a fund is way harder than raising money for um, um, a startup. Um, I think, I think balance of sort of just you know the long term relationship game and when it pertains to um, to, uh, to to uh, to fundraising from all types, um, you know, it, 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 it's a long game. I think um, in addition to that, I would say from a you know. Um, um, areas of focus from a, I think we've gotten really good in the last three years, but I think the the idea of kind of honing in on a core core thesis and focus from a from a kind of investment standpoint, um, um, what kinds of companies and what your sort of collective group of LPs in our case can provide. Again, we've gotten better and better and more fine tuned and more fine tuned, Eddie. But if I showed you our materials, you know, two years ago. Not that far off. The North Star is still there, but you know maybe we were more generalist and we were trying to do too many different things. I mean, I think we all know, as we you know you know within our career respective careers, that focus within anything you do works. Uh, so I you know I'm never really satisfied with with that. I think that could always be a little bit better. But those are a couple um, couple uh, couple insights. Thanks, Chris and Sam. Your your one lesson learned. I'm sure there are many, but one lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, Sam, I offered 37, so you just <laughs> yeah, I, I'll I'll do I'll 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 split the difference. I'll go two. Um, well, first is is just I I can't harp enough to it's 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 all about people, 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 people. So whether it's the entrepreneur, the people, the family office, the partner, the VC person that's running the fund, it's you got you want we want to work with good people. We've strayed from that because of you know, at, at different times and, and it, it, it ends up not, you know, typically not working. Um, but I would say that the larger one um, for us, and again, this has been a, a seven year journey, which again, I wouldn't change much. Obviously, there's a couple of deals I, I wouldn't do, but it's all been, you know, very good learning. And I think we're better for it um, is to just know what we are as a family and, and really defining that because, you know, it's very easy to stray. Um, again, when you don't have LPs and a strong, and a strong mandate, um, to do things that sort of aren't, you're not operationally set up to do. 
um, or it's just not something that's your core competency. And so I think it's sort of like, you know, it's so-called staying in your lane. You know, our lane may be wider than, than most. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say that's the big lesson is like, you know, do what you do really well and get, you know, and, and become a domain expert. Again, it doesn't mean you're not going to go a little to the right or a little left and your, your, your lane widens out, but don't cross the highway. You know, don't, don't, don't jump to another, an, another street. Um, st- you know, that's really, and, and when we've done that, you know, that's where we've kind of run into the, the biggest issues um, along the way. So I would just say, you know, it's, it's sort of like, know what you're good at and define who you are. Eddie, I got to add one more, but it's going to be 30 seconds, but it's a tactical one, but I think super important. If you're a family office or your venture fund or whatnot, make sure that you have a strategy beyond your initial investment from a pro rata perspective. In our case, we reserve half our fund for follow-on investment. But even in the case of writing into an early stage and making sure you have documentation that upon that company's next raise on a higher valuation, that you have the 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 rights to reinvest, and that and I think that's you know just something that that uh, that that anyone should ensure that you you understand from a tactical perspective. It's great that you have money that you can throw throw out there, whoever you are, but like make sure you actually have a game plan for that next raise and the raise after that. Do you have rights? And I'll and I'll just tease this out just because Chris you know, he, he laid it up for me. It's it, that's one of our big philosophies. And that's something that we've learned through these seven years is always continue to back your winners, right? Like Chris is a little bit earlier stage, so it's even more prudent for him. But like, if we take our, 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 if we take a series a and the company's crushing it and we're spending a lot of time with it, we will disproportionately lean in on, on the, on the series B and we will double and triple down when we know that we're inside the tent now we know what's going on. We have a high level of confidence in the founders and their vision and, and their strategy. We will then double, triple down. This is, again, another podcast, another time. But that is really, again, as operating led you know, group, um, you know, that's where we've had some of our biggest success. Great points, guys. Uh, no, really, thank you. Uh, thank you both for joining. Appreciate it, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. It was a lot of fun. And thanks for all of you for listening in. If you'd like to get in touch with any of our guests or you have questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, are so inclined, subscribe to our channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, check out our website. That's dentons.com forward slash family office. That's it. Bye everyone.